Well, good afternoon. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and it is so good, as Jeannie mentioned, to be back with you. Uh, we were on a little extended family break, and uh, it was such a great time for our family. And I just want to say it quickly to those of you who were praying for us, and many of you wrote us notes and encouraged us and were loving on us while we were gone. Uh, I am so, so, so grateful. And I just want to take a moment to bless and thank our amazing staff and team and volunteers who love and lead this church very well. You were taught very well by Nancy and you were led very well by this team. And so I'm thinking about uh, leaving longer and <laughs> becoming a professional vacationer. Uh, we, we, uh, we were in California for a little over two weeks and we started in Southern California in Santa Barbara and it was such a beautiful time for us. And so if you hear me talking about Soul City West... That's what I'm talking about, Soul City West Coast. And if you want to join me in that vision, we'll be taking up an offering, uh, <laughs> several offerings at the end of this gathering to do that. But such a rich time for us. And we, and we had such a great time with our kids. Our kids were with us the whole time. The whole time. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you were ever went on a, like a family trip, a road trip, or a family with your, you know, with your family, a vacation with your family, and you got to the point in the vacation where you were done with the vacation, but the vacation wasn't done yet. I'm not saying that happened to us. I'm just saying there were a couple moments on our family break where we wanted a break from our family, but. The point is actually, it was a really rich time and such a good time for our kids and to watch God take care of us in really real ways. I mean, really give us great rest and great memories and my son learned to surf. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. So we are so, so, so grateful and it's good to actually be back with you. That time with our family really uh, spoke into and helped shape what we're going to be looking at here today. We're going to be looking at family and how complicated our families can be and how God wants to speak clarity into our relational complexity how God wants to bring his love and truth into your life and into your family. Now, when I say we're going to be talking about family today, I don't know if there is a, a set of relationships more complicated than family. Just think about it for a second. I say the word family, and do you know that that means something different to every single person in this room? Every one of our experiences with family, totally different. Impossible for us to just kind of have one simple understanding of family. Think about it, because there's, you know, moms and dads and stepmoms and stepdads, and there's half-brothers and stepsisters, and there's marriages and divorces and second marriages and third marriages, and it is a complicated thing. Someone in the family leaves, someone in the family dies, it changes the whole family dynamic. It's a complicated thing, and if you are, are newlywed, and you have had to face a holiday with your family, you know how complicated it can be. This is a complicated thing that we're going to be talking about. And it, I think it would be very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, for you to find another person in this room that has had the same family experience as you. This is a very complex and complicated Thing. And so when I say we're going to be talking about family, I know that that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's important that we talk about this because this is your family is whether you realize it or not and wherever you may be at with your family, good, bad, or otherwise, your family is your first and most formative relationship that you have in this world. Your family is your first and, and, and the most formative relationship that you actually have in your life. And all of our families come with all kinds of their own levels of complexity. 
Think about it. Just, just think about you and your life and all the complexities that make up who you are. When you entered into this world, you entered in as a complex little creature. You were very cute, but very complex. And you entered this world with your own set of baggage. And again, you were a baby and you were so cute. You had baggage. You didn't even realize it yet. There were things that you were kind of born into, the part of who you are, things that you would not have chosen, might not have chosen if you had a choice in the matter. And so you were given a set of baggage. Yours may not have been as cool and retro as this, but you were given a set of baggage, just you alone, that you were going to have to deal with in this world regardless of your family. But you weren't born outside of a family. Everyone was born into or brought into a family. And so not only did you have kind of your own complexities and complicated things that make up who you are, you then got to pick up your family's baggage. And they've been carrying this around for years. And you got to then now have to try and figure out how to manage your baggage. And now you've got your parents' baggage and all the baggage that comes with your family and maybe came from their family before them. This thing's been handed down for generations. Your baggage may be the only family heirloom that you own. And so you've got all kinds of baggage that you're trying to deal with. And then you're just trying to navigate that and get through life trying to do that. But that's not the only relationship that you get to call family. Because while you're trying to manage your baggage and their baggage, you start dating someone. And you realize, hopefully not on the first date, that they've got baggage too. And so now you've got your baggage and their baggage and you're trying to manage hearing about this and you're telling you about their baggage. And so you've got your baggage, your family's baggage. And then let's say that relationship continues to grow and you end up marrying this person. And what you come to find after marrying them is that all this baggage you've been carrying around in your dating relationship was just their carry-on. They came with a ton more baggage that now is in your house and you have to deal with this now. And so now you've got the baggage you thought you had and the baggage you really have and you have your family's baggage and you have their baggage and you have your own baggage and then let's say you bring kids into the equation and now these beautiful little children come with their own complexity and they're really cute bags, aren't they? They come with their own complexity and they come with their own complications and now you're trying to manage the complicated relationships of being a parent as well as trying to be a spouse, as well as trying to deal with your family of origins stuff, as well as trying to deal with your own stuff, do you think family might be just a bit complicated? In fact, the truth of the matter is simply this. None of us walked in here empty-handed today. All of us came in here with some level of baggage. And it may not seem like a ton, and you may have learned how to carry it through this life, but all of us, all of us have baggage when it comes to our family. And in fact, you may have even walked in here today just overwhelmed under the weight of the baggage that you've been carrying around with you your whole life, never even realizing the power that it has on your relationships. Now listen, some of the stuff in these bags is really great things. It's complicated, right? It's not just good or bad. It's all kinds of stuff. There may be really great things, blessings that came from your family. I think of my family. There's a ton of blessings. My family gave me a foundation of faith. I'm so grateful for that. There's tons of other things in those bags too. A ton of other things when I married Jeannie. It's the most amazing woman I've ever met. She's complicated. It comes with baggage. It does. All of us do. None of us walk in this room or walk through life empty-handed. 
all of us have to deal with and pay attention to, the good, bad, or otherwise, of the baggage that we walked in here with. And so the, the, the real question for us to do is to say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do with all this? And so for the course of, of our time together here this afternoon, what I want us to do, what I've been praying that God would do is to give you the courage to begin to identify and unpack your bags and invite God into the complicated, the good, the bad, and the otherwise of your family and to give you the courage to ask this very simple but very powerful and very important question. And that question is simply this. What do you do with the family that God gave you? Okay, so what do you do <laughs> with all of this? What do you do with the family? Now, you might not have chosen to be in this family, but God puts you in this family, so what do you do with the family that God gave you? <laughs> Better yet, what have you done? Maybe that might help you kind of get onto the same page. What have you done? How have you responded? How have you interacted? How have you reacted to the family that God gave you? See, this is really important stuff, because whether you realize it or not, all of this affects you. And here's the thing, and you may have already experienced this. All of this affects every one of your other relationships in your life. All the good, the bad, and otherwise that are in these bags affect every relationship you have. In fact, it's even bigger than that. All of this stuff is going to, has the potential to have effect on the next generation and the next generation to come. See, whether you realize it or not, most of, in this, most of us in this room, honestly, are someone's future family of origin. Most of us are someone's future family of origin. In 30 years, Elijah is going to be sitting in some church and some pastor with some slick illustration like this is going to get up and talk about how his family has baggage and I'm going to be in his ear saying, lies, lies, all of it lies. But it's true and I'm, I'm an imperfect person. I'm a broken person. I need Jesus. And so the reality is I am his family of origin. And so what do I want to hand to him and to her? What do you want to give to them? What is the life that God has invited you to live with him that you may be able to give to the next generation? This is incredibly important stuff that we actually talk about and dive into. And so to answer that question, what do you do with the family God's given you? We're gonna look at Jesus because he actually had a family here on earth. And what he did with them gives us a great invitation for what we can do today with the family that God gave us. We're gonna look at how Jesus interacted with his earthly family. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 12. If you brought your own Bible, fantastic. If not, we've got you covered. There should be a blue Bible. When you check and see if there's a blue Bible in your seat back, and then grab it, if you would, and open to Matthew 12. It's on page 684 in the blue Bible. Why don't you grab this and grab a pen? We're gonna be circling some stuff, making some notes. You're gonna to wanna, to, we're gonna make a few lists, write a few names down, right? So grab a Bible, Matthew chapter 12. It's page 684 in the blue Bible. Let me give you context as to where we're coming into the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, maybe you haven't ever thought of this, or maybe you have, Jesus actually had an earthly family. Think about that for a second. Jesus had siblings. I mean, how do you fight over who gets the top bunk with Jesus? He's like, I've already been up that high. You can have it. I'm going back up there one day. Anyway, I mean, how, how do you even, how do you even, but he did. He had siblings. He had parents. And so we, we see that he came from a family, but early on in his life, he was making it very clear that he was a part of a bigger family and that he was about his father in heaven's work here on earth. 
And so we have this moment where Jesus is in the full swing of his public ministry, and he's done a lot of teaching in Matthew chapter 12, right up to this point, a lot of teaching, and he's under this immense attack from the religious leaders of his day, like very intense attack. They're accusing him of you know, kind of coming from the devil, and I mean, they're, they're just coming at him, and the crowds keep overwhelming him, so he kind of moves to a new location. They show up there. He kind of moves. He's like a moving kind of rave. Like everywhere he goes, just crowds show up, and he gets into a house, and all these crowds show up, and he's in the middle of teaching, and people are literally pouring out the doors of this house. House and this interesting thing happens. His mother and his brothers show up to where Jesus is at. This is Matthew chapter 12. Let's jump down to verse 46. It says this, while Jesus was still talking, that means he's still teaching. He's in the middle of teaching, right? He's in the middle of a sermon. He's still talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now, we don't know what their agenda was, but they had one clearly. They wanted to speak to him. The writer made special attention like, hey, they were trying to get his attention. So someone told Jesus, now I love this. You imagine this. He's in the middle of a sermon, right? Much probably like this one. Imagine he's got great props right next to him and he's in the middle of a sermon. Imagine someone just comes up to him right now and taps me and keeps tapping me on the shoulder while I'm trying to teach hey, just so you know, Jeannie wants to talk to you. Like, that can wait. Like, can you imagine what that must have been like? And someone's like, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. I, I didn't see a VIP. Do we have a VIP room? I don't know where to put them. He's interrupting Jesus, saying, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. They want something from you too. The crowds do, and so does your family. And this is a very important moment. Because the family in that culture is so different from how we value family in our culture today. Family in that Eastern first century culture was at the center of the hub of the social world. Family was everything. Family was your heritage, your lineage. Family was your place within the community. Family in many terms determined your future, kind of the, the job, the career path you'd have. All of that came from the family. So family is incredibly important. So it would make sense that someone would think they could interrupt this rabbi in the middle of his teaching because his family was here. Family is more important than anonymous crowds, right? Now, there's also something that the writer doesn't include that we need to pay attention to. It says that standing outside where his mother and brothers, who's missing from the picture? His father. It doesn't mention anything about his father. Many theologians and scholars believe that at this point in Jesus' life, most likely what had happened was Jesus' father, Joseph, had died, had passed away. So I just want you to hit pause on that for a second. Not only did Jesus have siblings, but he had to walk through the grief of losing someone he loved. And maybe you've had to walk through that grief too. How amazing it is. How so much like us in every way is this Savior. That he would even suffer through grief. Like you and like me. The absence of a picture-perfect family even for Jesus. So there he is being interrupted in the middle of his mouth. This is how he replies, verse 48. He replied to the stranger. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now pause real quick. With Jesus, you never knew if he was being literal or rhetorical. You very rarely wanted to speak out loud your answer because you're like, is, is this one of those kind of... Because, you know, you're kind of looking and like, that, you know them. You grew up with, I know your family. Like, how would you not know your family? He says, who are my mother and brothers? And then he points to his disciples. In the midst of this packed house, he points to his 12 disciples, his followers. And he said, here are my mother and brothers. Scandalous. He said, here are my mother and brothers. This is my family. This is my family. For whoever does the will of my Father, whoever lives in the way of my Father, whoever enters into relationship with my Father in heaven is my brother and sister 
and mother. That's a very important moment for how we understand family. Because Jesus is drawing a very deliberate line in the family sand. He's, he's making a very clear distinction. Now, it may seem at first pass that what he's doing is devaluing his earthly family or devaluing earthly families in general. It's easy to think, like, who are my mother and brothers? I don't even know them. I don't even know them. Like, that's how it can seem, you know, in this moment. Couldn't be further from the truth, because what do we know about Jesus? In the last few hours of his life, the last few moments, as he hung on the cross, he looked to his brother in the faith, his brother John, the beloved, who was not his earthly brother, a part of his spiritual family, and he looked at John from the cross and said, John, this now is your mother. And he pointed to his mother Mary, he, you know, nodded to his mother Mary, who was standing next to John. In the last few moments of his life, he says, this is your mother. You take care of her. You love her. She is your mother now. So this is not a devaluing of earthly families. It is an elevating of spiritual family. Jesus is elevating the role that the spiritual family plays in our life and in this world. He's saying this, there's a new family. There's a new family that you're actually a part of when you enter into a relationship with God. There's a, a kind of a new sort of family code. There's a new set of rules. There's a new way we do things in this family. Now, just real quick about this spiritual family. It is not a perfect family, but there's a perfect parent in charge of this family. You have a perfect parent in who God is. This is, this is not a perfect family, but Jesus is elevating the role of the spiritual family in our lives, in our growth, and in this world. And he says, yeah, there's a new family, and there's a new set of rules, and there's a new way of doing things, and it is very different from family as you might have known. Very different from family as you might have known. There is a big difference between the family you got and the family of God. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> there is a huge, am I right? Huge difference between the family you got and all the stuff, good, bad, and otherwise that came with it, and the family of God as, as God designed and desired it to live in this world. Jesus elevates our spiritual family, says, no, 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 this is incredibly important, and you are a part of the family of God. See, all throughout the Old Testament, you can find story after story after story of broken and dysfunctional families. Listen, if you ever want to feel good about your family, read about the families in the Old Testament. There are generational blessings and generational sins that continue chapter after chapter after chapter, book after book after book. A lot of broken examples of broken families throughout the Old Testament. But from this point, this line in the sand that Jesus draws, moving forward in the New Testament, the New Testament paints a picture of what life is to be like in this new family, how we are to live in this new family, this spiritual family with God. Ephesians 1.5 says this, that God actually decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is very important. That God adopts us from this family into his family through Jesus Christ because this is what God wanted to do and it gives him great pleasure. This is incredibly important that you understand that you have actually been invited and afforded the opportunity to enter into relationship with God. Not more rules and religion. That is not what this is about. It's about a relationship with God as a perfect parent and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Please hear me. You do not earn your way into this family. You cannot impress your way into this family. You cannot be good enough to get into this family. Jesus entered into an earthly family so that he could make a way through a cross and an empty tomb for you to be a part of a spiritual family. 
where you have a perfect parent who gives you a new way to live into this world. In fact, what's so powerful, we see again and again and again throughout the New Testament that this new family has an incredible role as it relates to our old family. It's as though God gives us a new family to help you live with your old family. Because it it's got kind of a bummer at that point, isn't it? Because it sounds great when it's all new family. Yeah, new family, new rules. I get a new shot. And that would be great if it's just like, I don't, know, I don't have to deal with my old family. I don't even return their emails anymore. I have nothing to do. I'm a part of the new family of God. That is not at all the point that this is. God elevates the role of a spiritual family and gives you a new family so that you can live with and love and forgive and bless and encourage your old family. This is what God does. He brings us into life with him so that we can live our life fully and completely for him. Even with our old family, sometimes especially with. This is the picture that God gives us again and again and again throughout the New Testament, this family of God, this new family that helps us practice and learn how we live with our old family. And for the next few moments, what I'd love to do is to lean into the collective wisdom of the teaching of the of the teachings of the Bible, as well as uh, several other writers, theologians, and Christian psychologists who have done hard work to understand what this life looks like in our new family and how our new family helps us live with our old family. And, and for the next few moments, I want to offer you three ingredients, maybe three steps that you can take today, literally starting today, that can change the way you not only view, but what you do with your old family. No matter kind of what the story is, different for every one of us, but these three things resonate throughout the whole of scripture. And so if you might want to grab a pen and piece of paper, something to jot them down, I encourage you to do so now. They're very, very simple, but oh my goodness, when unpacked, have incredible power and transformational change in your life. Things that you and I can add and begin to add today, a very practical spiritual path that you can begin to work on today begins with something that is honestly, oftentimes overlooked and greatly undervalued, but it is essential if you're ever going to live with and love this old family. And there's a very important step in the process when you begin to unpack these bags, and it's called grief. Now, that's an odd place to start. It doesn't, start, it doesn't feel like a very happy place to start. It feels like maybe a heavy place to start, but it is such an essential place to start, and it's what so many people try and skip, and it's where so many people get stuck. To be able to grieve... What not only wasn't great or perfect or how you would have chosen, but to be able to grieve what was broken and what was hurtful and what was painful and what was sinful about your family. Now again, my family, maybe like your family, is a mix of all kinds of blessing and all kinds of complication. So this looks different for every one of us, but the first step is very clear when it comes to us growing in this new family and living with and loving our old families. We have to be able to grieve what wasn't as it should have been. What do you do with all of your family's imperfections? How do you deal with that? What do you do with the parts that you had hoped would have been different? The parts that were not as they should have been? the parts that were not as you'd hoped they would be, the parts that were part of patterns of maybe generational things that your parents weren't even aware of, your family wasn't aware of, that had been handed down for generations. 
What would it look like for you to begin to grieve those things in your family, to begin to grieve the reality maybe in your family of abuse? That's not what God designed. That is not what God desired. And that is not what should have happened. To grieve abandonment, to grieve neglect maybe in your family, to grieve favoritism, putting one kid over the other, always talking about how much better that one is versus this one, to grieve the brokenness that may have come in the relationship you watched between your parents or one of your parents or the many relationships they might have had, to grieve the presence of an overbearing parent, to grieve the presence of an emotionally absent parent, to grieve the reality of a lost sheep. Every family has one. Someone in your family that didn't kind of follow the family path. To grieve that, maybe that person is you. To grieve an addiction in your family. To grieve an addiction to drama in your family. To grieve a pattern of drinking in your family. I mean, what do you do with all the complicated things and many things that were maybe part of a blessing and a gift, but what do you do with the rest? The Bible says again and again, what's taught throughout the Bible and even modeled in the life of Jesus is that what you do is you grieve those things. Is that you cry and you weep and you bring them to the heart of God and say, these things were not as they should have been. And to bring them wholly to God. All the things that were the less thans and all the things that should not have been. And you bring it to God. Because what happens when you do is what you begin to see as you process your grief is that processed grief actually gives pain a place. Processed grief of all the losses and pain and hurt of life, specifically as it relates to your family, that processed grief gives your pain a place. It doesn't make it magically go away or like it never happened. It just puts it in its right place. Helps you give a greater context for the bigger story and how great God's love is that it could even cover over that pain and that wound. Grief is an incredibly important step in the process. And you know who typically is the worst at grief and grieving when it comes to this kind of stuff? Do you know who typically, what group of people tend to be the worst at it? Christians. People who claim to be Christians. Why? Because people oftentimes who are Christians or claim to be Christians love to slap a happy sticker on things. No, it's okay. God's got a plan. Yes, I know he has a plan, but this is real. This happened. And you cannot simply leapfrog over the valley of the shadow of death to get to green pastures. You have to be able to process and say, this was not right. God, this grieves your heart, so I am going to let it grieve mine because my refusal to do so will turn it into bitterness and resentment and repetition. I will hand that bag down to the next generation. So what do you need to grieve? How do you need to receive the gift of grief from God? Henry Cloud, who writes a ton. Henry Cloud's writing has been so important in the formation of our church. Jeannie, about a month and a half ago, got to go out and spend a week with Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend, and what he spent a lot of time talking about was grief. And he says this about grief in our lives, that grief is accepting the reality of what is. How often and how hard we try and pretend that it never really happened, or it's not that big of a deal. Grief is... Accepting the reality of what is, that's grief's job and purpose, to allow us to come to terms 
with the way things really are so that we can move on. So that we can move on. Grief is a gift of God. So what are the things in your life that you need to grieve? What are the patterns? What are the moments? What are the broken relationships? What are the things about your own choices and the role that you've played in your family that you need to grieve and stop trying to pay penance for? And grieve and bring it to God and trust him with it. When you do, we find that you were able to actually receive the love of God in the most tender and the most vulnerable and oftentimes the most hidden parts of your story. That his love is great enough and big enough for even those parts of your story. What would that look like for you? For me, it's been the process, honestly, last 12 or 13 years, so grateful for my family, but there's a lot of pieces that didn't fit and parts that I would not have chosen And so for me, it's taken the work of the last 12, 13 years of really kind of going after this stuff amongst a ton of other things with a Christian counselor. For me, it meant finding a spiritual mentor. We didn't have a list of spiritual mentors. I just had to go look at someone's life and go, it looks like you love Jesus and you seem to be healthy. Help me. I had to lean into my new family to help me live with my old family. What would that look like for you to begin to do that today? To grieve. And to begin to receive from God a gift that comes from grief, and that is grace. This is an incredibly important ingredient if you're ever going to love your old family, and it is to live in abundance in this new family. Grace. Grace is what I found to be a gift from God to be able to process and handle and walk through some of the things that don't make sense or didn't add up or I wouldn't have chosen from my past or my family. Honestly, as the more I've kind of worked this journey out and begin to understand this with God, what I'm finding is that real grace, true grace grows out of grief because I cannot give grace or forgiveness to a pain that I have not felt or recognized. So real grace grows from real grief. And that work and grace begins to grow and it begins to be quite an unexpected little thing that God gives us for all the things that we wish our family would have done and didn't do, for all the things we wish they were and all the things we wish they weren't, for all the patterns and places and people in our story that we would not have chosen. God gives grace to give to them, to forgive them, to forgive them, even if they don't ask for it, even if they're not present for that forgiveness, to forgive them even if you don't want to, to forgive, that's what grace is. And it's essential if you're ever gonna live with and love your old family, you are going to have to have grace for them just as God has grace for you. See, this is the powerful thing when we enter into this new family is we receive from God the fullness, the riches of his character and his glory. And one of the things that comes with that, right at the center of it, is grace. Forgiveness for all the things I've done, all the places in my life that I should feel grief over. God gives grace to cover every one of those things. And I read a book about a decade or so, 12 years ago, uh, by a guy named David Stoop, and it is a powerful transformational book. It's called uh, Forgiving Our Parents, Forgiving Ourselves. What? Listen to that title, people. This is not a light read. Forgiving Our Parents, Forgiving Ourselves, right? Going deep into this stuff, a Christian writer and, and sociologist and psychologist and helping understand patterns of sin in our lives and all that kind of stuff and how we come to terms with grace. And this is what he said. It struck me. I underlined it, highlighted it, folded the page back over, and he said this. He said, we must let our forgiveness 
express itself in forgiveness. That we must let the forgiveness that God has for you express itself in forgiveness for our new family and our old. That we cannot receive from God what we are unwilling to offer to others. To say, I'm going to let my forgiveness, God, I believe everything in my life that is broken and dysfunctional and hurtful and harmful and has broken your heart, every sin, you offer freedom and forgiveness from that. And so, God, I'm going to let my forgiveness express itself in forgiveness, even for my family. This is a big step in the process. First, we grieve, then we begin to give grace. And sometimes grace looks like forgiveness. Sometimes grace looks like blessing and encouragement to be able to say to your mom and dad or your family or whoever, whatever your family might mean, thank you. Thank you. I know it must have been hard. I know it must have been really hard. Thank you. Giving grace doesn't give permission for things that should not have happened. Giving grace doesn't give power to those things. Giving grace gives freedom so that you can begin to do what God actually created you to do, regardless of what they do with what you offered to them. Because here's what I've found, is I've grieved things that weren't as they should have been or I wanted them to be, and God's given me grace to give to my family and to love them, and I actually got to see my family when we were out in California, and my mom and dad just happened to be in Northern California, where I'm from, they happened to be there, and I got to see them, and you're never gonna believe it. After all these years of living with them, they are still complicated people and they still trigger things in me. And you're never gonna believe this, I trigger things in them. And so it's a perpetual process of giving grace, giving grace, giving grace. I can give grace for that because God's given grace to me. I can cover that because God's covered it in me. And as I've been able to do that and continue to need to do that in all of my relationships, this amazing thing begins to happen is that God actually begins to grow me. God actually begins to grow me. The, the process of uncomplicating your family and the baggage and all the good and bad and otherwise that you've been carrying with is going to require of you growth. It is going to require you to hear these words, to grow up. That you are not meant to just sort of spend the rest of your life walking in circles with the bags you were handed. That God is going to say, no, there is now time for you. As you've grieved the things that are not as they should have been, as you've offered grace, now I am going to grow you. And I'm going to do what only I can do in your life. And I'm inviting you to do what only you can do for your growth. To take steps, to have the courage to ask for growth, to accept it when God brings it, regardless of whether or not people in your family are choosing to grow, you can grow. Please hear this today. Whatever the story of your past may be, that does not determine in Christ your future. That you are not bound, you actually hear this, are not bound to those things anymore. You are not bound to those patterns anymore. And regardless of what these folks do with the grace that's been offered to them through God, you have the invitation and opportunity to grow today. It's possible. It's possible to literally change the direction of a generation. It's possible today because of Christ. Isn't this amazing? And this is what God does. He begins to grow us up. 
the less I choose to ignore the realities of my family, and the more I begin to unpack them and unpack them, and as I see and find and discover things that are painful, and the further I go in life, and the next stage of life that I enter into, I discover more things about my past. I go, okay, I don't think I've processed that. I think I need to grieve that. I grieve that. I don't ignore it. I don't pretend like it didn't happen or it doesn't exist. I refuse to perpetuate patterns that have existed in my life. I ask God to break them by the power of Jesus Christ to break generational patterns of sin, addiction, and abuse, to no longer accept someone else's refusal to grow as my permission to not grow myself, to just keep playing our parts in our family. You do not have to do that anymore, friends. You're a part of a new family. And God has invited and elevated the role of the spiritual family in your life to help you grow, to no longer sort of believe that God loves me but doesn't love them or that God loves me more than them but to accept that God loves every member of your family equally and as much as he loves you. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And to let God begin to write a new story for your life that might possibly change your old family. You never know what God can do. To allow him to grow in you all of the characteristics. The Bible calls them the fruit of the spirit. The result of life with God in this new family. That joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control begin to grow in you to the point of abundance in this new family, your new family, helping you grow, encouraging you to grow, challenging you to grow, holding you to growth. As those things begin to grow in you, they have the power to actually begin to change this family. It is possible. It's not easy. It's possible only by God. And that the power of you living life in relationship with God can change literally the direction of your family and your future family of origin. It's powerful stuff. What can happen when we begin to live out our relationship with God, how it begins to change relationships with others? Peter Scazzaro, a pastor and the writer of a profound book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this about what can happen when we accept and receive and desire and pursue the growth that God has for each one of our lives. He says this, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our world, look how big that picture is, one of the greatest gifts we can give to our world is to be a community, a family of emotionally healthy adults who love well. This will take the power of God. Pause. This will take the power of God. This is not just read three books and be different tomorrow. This will take the power of God. Make no mistake about it. You were brought into this family by Jesus, and it will take the power of Jesus to help you live with and love your old family, to love well. But it's possible. It's going to take the power of God and it's going to take your commitment to learn and grow and break with unhealthy, destructive patterns that go back generations in our families and cultures. Can you imagine what a different story we could tell? How many dysfunctional spiritual families and churches and reputations that churches can have. We actually are invited to write a better story with God. To be a new family that learns to love each other well. To practice the fruit of the spirit in this new family. This is why I love small groups. You're gonna be hearing about small groups all month this month because this is where we get to practice life in our new family. 
That's why it's so important to me personally and why it's so important to our church because it gives you an arena, a place to practice life with this new family so that you can love well, not only your old family, but everyone you come into contact with. What a great invitation that we've been given by God and what a great way for us to be about loving and changing this world by starting with the work that God wants to do in and through us. To grieve what needs to be grieved, to receive grace where we need it and to offer it where it's needed and to choose to grow to no longer perpetuates the patterns of old family, but to live into the new family. So we're going to take a moment to actually respond to the reality of God's love for us through a song. And what I want to actually invite you to do is to stand right now, because I want to pray for you, and I want uh, to provide an opportunity before we sing for, for you, for anyone who has yet to receive or understand what it means to be loved by a perfect parent like this. I want to offer you the opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus right now. To let God become your loving parent. I don't know what your picture of God is. My hunch is your parents have in some way, positively or negatively, shaped your view of God. I'm telling you that there is a perfect parent in heaven who loves you perfectly and has made a way for you to be in relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And you are actually invited into an imperfect spiritual family where we get to work out what it means to live our life with God so that it not only changes our life, but it changes this world. And I don't want you to miss the opportunity to become a part of this family. So I'm gonna pray. And if you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus and join his family, not just join this church or sign up for a new religion, it's not at all what this is about. It's about joining the family of God where you are perfectly loved by him and you get to live out your life with him and others in this place. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and as I do, if you want to enter into that relationship, would you just open up your hands? It's a symbol for you to open up your heart. You can open up your hands to enter, to start a brand new relationship with Jesus. You've never done this before. You've never entered into this. You didn't know that was possible for you. I'm telling you, that great love of God is available to you today. And so I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes and if you want to begin a relationship with that family with that father today, then you open up your hands and open up your heart. And in your own words, while I pray, you ask God to invade your life. And God, that is what we pray. We pray that your perfect love would permeate every pore, every facet, every component, every part of who we are. That God, you would help us align our hearts with yours. And God, I pray for any person who has yet to enter into a relationship with you but has heard about what you can do in and even through us. And God may have actually avoided you or walked away from you because of a role that their family may have played in their life. God, I pray that your love would fall fresh on them today and that they would receive your perfect love for them. And so in their own words, God, I invite them right now to grieve over their sin to confess, to name that we have been grossly unable to do it on our own, to confess our brokenness and sinfulness to you, to receive your gift of grace for our lives that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus, someone who himself had a family and invites us into a greater family with him. 
and to begin the process of growth and growing into who you created them to be. God, I pray for every single person who's opened their hands and opened their hearts to you, that they would actually begin a relationship with you right now. And we know that your Holy Spirit is here and is moving and is present and is inviting everyone into this life with you. There's not a single person who is excluded. There's not a single story that excludes or eliminates anyone from your grace. And so God, would you do what only you can do and give us life in you, new life in you. And God, would you help this imperfect spiritual family learn to love you and love each other well. God, I pray for our church. I don't care if anyone ever remembers our building. I don't care if anyone ever remembers a logo. I don't care if anyone ever remembers my name, but that they would know your love that they would know your love and that it would be known in our church. And that's what we'd be known for. That we are an imperfect but loving spiritual family rooted in your son Jesus and led by a perfect parent in heaven. So God, what else can we say but thank you you are so good and you are so great. And so we pour our hearts out to you and we offer our lives to you and we ask for your help and guidance, and courage and faith to walk through what we need to unpack, trusting God that you will lead us every step of the way into new life and a new family with you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.